every now and again I've got to come in the gym and knock them cobwebs off, let them uh, open them endorphins up and have a good day. As long as you're happy, mate, and enjoying life, uh, where are you with that? Are you happy and enjoying retirement? I am a bit lost at the minute, but, you know, obviously, I put the time in with my girls and going for nice walks on, on the bikes, um, you know, flying flying to different places, so just keep got to keep busy, really. You know, I've just got to get myself into a routine, you know, because mental health is... Uh, the big thing these days, I think a lot of people are talking about about that and you've got to make sure you look after that mind and keep yourself, you know, keep, you need, you always need to have something to do. You know, he thought it would be, so he's smiling and saying, okay, you're, you're not bad. But then in the fifth round, uh, Ray told me, we're not up. So pushing back and step up the pace. And that's what I've done. I thought, okay, if I'm not up, I'm here to win. I'm not here to, you know, I'm not here to come close second, step up the pace go, yeah, you know, fights comes in waves, so there's times I, I backed off and there's times I pushed him back, but I felt I was in the fight. I can't say I felt I won or I felt I lost, I thought I was in the fight, you know. Um, that last school card was a bit wide, I think, what's that, like, two rounds? I think that's a bit disrespectful, but I was, in, I, I was definitely in the fight. I think I earned his respect, um, definitely earned mine, but, um, yeah, man, close second, I want to be a world champion. 27 years, you know, it's, it's a little bit like I've died, you know. Uh, in a way, because boxing's been my life, and uh, it's, you know, it's it has been my life. It's all I really know, you know, to a certain degree. So, you know, it's, it is hard when you when you do hang them up. When you hang them up, it's hard to uh, tran, you know, transfer on, into something different. When I fixed it, he was like, "Take it off." I was like, "What? <laughs> Tell what you fancy me." And um, he sort of just started twitching his mouth like me, and then um, I was just like, "Bruv, like you need to chill out. Like, you're, look at you're struggling. You've got a woolly hat on or hood on, and about four layers. You're struggling to make the weight. You're fucked." And that just set him off. <laughs> he just fucking lost his shit at that point. And welcome back to the number one podcast of the sport, where we're starting to wonder if. The rise of women's boxing was just so the bosses could dip their wick in the company ink. Um, you know, let's not say too much about that, but you get the message. We'll do something a little different today. Um, I think everyone's done their kind of awards for fighter of the year, the set and the third. I just really wanted to look at where the landscape is in 2022, just across you know, our three main camps. And then we can also do like fourth, which is any other, right? So... We've got Matchroom, we've got Queensbury, and we've got Boxer. So where are we now? You know, a year down the line, and where did we think we would be? And it's only right that we start with Eddie, because Eddie's still, he's still the biggest promoter. Uh, is the gap as wide as it used to be? Nowhere near. But he's still the biggest promoter, because he's still got the brand names. He's still got the names that the, the majority of boxing fans, hardcore and casual, recognize and appreciate. Now, I get a hard time constantly for for allegedly slaughtering Eddie Hearn. I say allegedly, I think we all know the truth. But there are times you've got to give him ticks in the box, right? So he's the guy that's basically elevated women's boxing to where it is now. There's no question about that. As I said in the intro, were there ulterior motives? I guess we'll never know. But we have to give him a tick in the box for that. And as you look down the, the roster of talent, he has Ebony Bridges, Katie Taylor, 
Ellie Scottney, Sky Nicholson, the list goes on. As you go down that list, you go, okay, he's invested in this. And he gets a massive tick in the box for Taylor Serrano because that was a manufactured fight. I genuinely sit here confidently and believe that Serrano would struggle if she was British. If Amanda Serrano was British and she fought anywhere from featherweight to junior welter, there are people who would have beaten her. Um, I think Natasha Jonas would have beaten her. I think Terry Harper would have been competitive if she got up to 140. I think women like Chantal Cameron would have beaten her. I think there are a lot of people in Britain that would have beaten Amanda Serrano. So this idea that the two biggest stars, the two best women's boxers were going at it was a bit far-fetched. But notwithstanding that, and notwithstanding the tickets that were comped out to first responders and stuff, it was still a big event and it still drew masses of boxing fans to it. We we watched the fight. We watched the fight live and it was a compelling fight. It was a good fight and it was a good event overall. And that's what Eddie Hearn does well, right? Eddie will always be able to elevate boxers to superstars, even if it's just for one night. That's his skill. Eddie Hearn from... From the start of fight week to the final bell, unmatched, untouched, that's his lane. So you've you got to give him credit for that. I also want to give him credit for Mick Conlon versus Lee Wood. Whether he wanted the fight to happen, don't know. I think it was, wasn't that like, a, I thought it was a mandatory. But we got to see one of the most compelling and dramatic fights we've seen in a long time. You know, There was a point in that fight, probably round six, round seven, where we thought Mick Conlon would just cruise to it. And, you know, you're, you're preparing your, your content for, for the next episode and you're getting ready to eulogize about how Mick Conlon is the supreme boxer. Then something happened in that fight. And it was a combination of Mick Conlon's fragility finally being revealed. And it was Lee Wood's desire to just keep going. Whether he thought he'd win or not, no idea. But he found that resilience to keep going. And in doing so, he melted the will and the spirit of Conlon until you had that final savage last round knockout. The mo- it's the most dramatic way for anyone to win a fight. And to be able to see that on TV, that's kind of what we'd like to see with every show. You can't always get it because I think that would also devalue the magic. But that's another magic moment that Eddie Hearn's given us. And like I said, people say you know, I'm critical of him. But you've got Taylor Serrano, you've got Mick Conlon versus Lee Wood. And he also gave us one of the more bizarre moments that we've seen. And it was Joe Cordina seemingly being resurrected from nowhere and delivering a highlight reel knockout. Um, probably a move that you rarely see British boxers do. And it's testament to actually the skill level of Joe Cordina. And then for him to be unable to capitalize on that through hand injuries, oh, it's heartbreaking. But Eddie's done well. Um, Alicia Baumgardner, I think she's undisputed now against Michaela Mayer. That's that's another, you know, Eddie's guided that process. All of these things are impressive things that Eddie's done. The event in Jeddah, which we'll come on to later, but the event in Jeddah gets a big tick in the box. The rise of Bam Rodriguez giving us Chocolatito and his Indian summer, I think has been highly entertaining. All of these things that I think Hearn's done. And as a promoter, you say, well done, right? Some people will say, well, that's his job. And I say, well, it is. But those moments will live long in the memory. So kudos to him. And I think that's strong. But 
here's the downside. From where Eddie Hearn was to where Eddie Hearn is, you can only call it a year-on-year -year decline. <laughs> it's he he's been slipping, and it seems in the second half of the year it's accelerated. And I think there've been two potentially mortal blows landed on Hearn. One of them was from Lawrence Okoli, and the other one was from you know the rumors around Sky Nicholson, because Eddie's never been this loose with his business or with his personal life. And you're starting to see those weaknesses. And I don't know if it's that boxing's moving away from him or that he's having a midlife crisis and he's having his own crisis of identity. Actually, maybe he needs a break, much like Joshua does. Does Eddie need a break? There's a time that he handed over the reins to Frank Smith and just took a back seat for even for six months. We just go back to being Eddie Hearn. I don't know. But if you want a Hearn's fighters, you're looking around going, well, what the hell's going on? And top of that list is Eddie Scottney. How Eddie Scottney's moved down the pecking order behind Sky Nicholson baffles me. However you want to slice and dice it, Sky Nicholson has no constituent fan base in the United Kingdom. Eddie Scottney does. Eddie Scottney was signed to Matchroom based on the energy she had generated amongst boxing fans for being a damn good fighter. Sky Nicholson hadn't shown us that. That's not to say Sky can't fight. She can punch. She can box. She can move. She can do all of that. And she's being well trained by Eddie Lamb. But Elle was here first. Elle earned her spot. And she's almost been eclipsed by Sky and Ebony Bridges and Shannon Courtney in a way that doesn't seem fair because it's not like she's been outmaneuvered in the ring. And I don't know if it's the case that you know, Ellie doesn't use her phys physical appearance to sell tickets. And, you know, that's noble. And the others do. I don't know. But I found it weird that for a relative novice in a prospect, Sky Nicholson was flown to Cleveland. I think she was flown to New York. She's been flown to the UK, put up in the UK by someone, somewhere, somehow. All on purses that I don't believe are greater than 12, 13, 1400 quid around. If I'm wrong on that, cool. But a lot of money's been spent moving Sky Nicholson around the world for promotional reasons only. Yes, we've seen it with Ammo Williams and we've seen it with Devin Haney, but in Devin Haney's case, Devin was, was a blue chip prospect and he had already proven himself and Devin was in line for belts. In the case of Ammo Williams, it was fleeting. It was just a brief taster. Ellie scotney has been consistent, as it has been with Alicia Baumgardner and as it has been with Jessica McCaskill. Matchroom seems to spend a lot of money moving these ladies around. Same with Ebony Bridges. They get moved around a lot. And no one's been able to explain why. So if I'm a guy like Dalton Smith, I'm like, where's, where are my perks? I'm delivering for you. I'm bringing you revenue. I have a city. I have a city that backs me. Where's... Where's that revenue? And I think we need to get to the bottom of that because, like I said, if you're being promoted by Eddie, you want to make sure that his heart's in the right place. That there's an objective criteria for working out who gets the investment budget and it's not just an emotional response. But in terms of things where we've got to start pulling Eddie Hearn up, number one, where's Mauricio Lara? 
Where's the where's the investment in Mauricio Lara? How is he not being primed for a world title shot? You bring him to the UK, he he shows what he can do, and he disappears. And then by the same token, actually, how have you let Josh Warrington's career disintegrate so much? Yeah. There was a time when Josh Warrington was that that world British champion, as I like to call them. And you, you felt that he could get a big fight against the Santa Cruz, but he's losing to people we barely know. That's the sad part about all of this. You're, you're basically losing to guys that beat Isaac Lowe previously. Where are the superstars that you're meant to be bringing to Leeds? Where are the superstars that are meant to be filling out Elland Road? You get the impression Eddie's never forgiven Josh Warrington for, for leaving him. You know, and he holds grudges. You know, we're now beginning to realize Eddie's very emotional. We've seen what happened with Akoli. So you beware of an Eddie Hearn scorned, I guess. So he's definitely butchered that career. Um, Montana Love is another example of another opportunity blown. You know, you remember how Eddie used to gush about Montana Love no more. You know, the loss of the Devin Haney relationship. Doesn't seem that he's going to get that back anytime soon. So that doesn't look good either. It's... It, and yeah, while it doesn't look good, you know, let's also not forget, like, a lot of the stuff we're asking Eddie to do is not his sweet spot. What's Eddie's sweet spot? Canelo versus Bivol. Bivol versus Zudo Ramirez. Which, by the way, once again, Hearn was magnificent. That's his lane. He will always do that. But for every Canelo, for every Dimitri Bivol, for every Zudo Ramirez... As I said earlier, there's a Franchon Cruz Desern who just seems to be floating around. There's a Chantal Cameron who, apart from Jessica McCaskill, hasn't fought anyone we know. Doesn't seem any closer to a Katie Taylor fight, which is a tragedy. And then there's that legacy of how we messed up Natasha Jonas and how she's been able to bounce back. There, there are all these things that tend to count against her. And then there's the confusion bit. And here's where it gets interesting. What are we doing with Johnny Fisher? What are we doing with Fabio Wardy? What are we doing with What are we doing with Alan Babbage? A guy we haven't seen on a match from show for a while, but he was always good entertainment. Apart from the name brand, we don't know who we're meant to be getting behind. We don't know who we're meant to be investing in. Is it Hopi Price? Is it Dalton Smith? Is it the new Muhammad Ali that they've signed? Who is, who is it? Because Eddie talks about everyone like they're going to be a world champion. Is it Johnny Fisher? Is it John Hedges? Who is it? And there seems to be a lot of muddled thinking in Matchroom because for a long time, Matchroom's revenue was just predicated on, on three key names, right? Joshua White Chisora. And however you want to, however you want to construct it in 2023 they are not the same value as they were in 2021. So now you've got to start scrambling and finding people to get behind. That's why you're seeing Ammo Williams move up the ladder. But what about Felix Cash? When's Felix Cash going to get his shot? What more does he have to do? You know, what, what about Anthony Fowler? Mr. 204 pounds with a six-pack. <laughs> wow um jesus you know there's a red flag if ever there was one if you cat aren't paying attention to that then god help him 
but I guess you see my point. You know, for every every person he's pushing, there are loads of people who must be disaffected at Matchroom and just seeing what's happening on other platforms saying, I could do something there. How does Eddie manage that? Because in the old days, it was, I can just put you on a Joshua card, a Dillian card, maybe squeeze you on a Canelo card. And it doesn't seem that that has the appeal that it used to have. So th these are troubled times for her. And then we've got to touch on the harsh reality that's hit Matchroom. Joshua's two defeats in, what, in a year, a year and a bit? Three defeats overall, all three defeats to little guys. All three defeats to little guys who are not known as punches, by the way. Not known as knockout artists. So how do you rebuild someone who's likely to struggle against heavy-handed opposition? Is there a way back for Joshua? Or do you cash out? That's the dilemma. We don't know the answer to that. But we do know that the Joshua we see today is not the Joshua we saw last year. Is that Hearn's problem? Partly. But I think deep down it's AJ's problem. And maybe that's a conversation for another time. But you're now looking at that going, so Joshua's done. That whole thing of I've got this leverage that I can take Joshua to the zone. Now the zone are looking at Eddie going, what use is Joshua? How are we going to make our money off Joshua? We just gave this guy 0.5% of our business. And he lost. So he's affecting our business now. So how are you going to fix this, Eddie? And I don't think Eddie's got an answer. Who will it be? Will it be Jermaine Franklin? Will it be Dillian White? Will it be Otto Wallin? What we know for certain is it will be someone slow, but it will be someone big to try and, you know, convince fans AJ is a monster. And it'll be someone light-fisted. That's what you're going to get. You're not going to get him in with a killer because I just don't think they're ready to put Joshua out to pasture yet. The Dillian thing we'll talk about when we talk about Frank, I think. But that Jermaine Franklin fight showed us that he's probably on the same part of the mountain that Joshua is at the, at the moment where he just needs to get his money and get out. And I think it's the same with Chisora. And so Joshua, not Joshua, Eddie's is essentially seeing 60 to 70% of his revenue disappearing down the hill with nothing to replace it. The person who was meant to replace it was Conor Ben. That Eubank pay-per-view fight was meant to be the start point for all of this. And that turned into a massive PR disaster. So that's one of three mortal wounds that Herner sustained this year. The Conor Ben wound the Lawrence O'Coley wound and the Sky Nicholson rumours are all things that have really chipped into Eddie Hearn's reputation this year. For a summary of the whole Conor Ben situation, please jump on episode 122. But the, the issue for that was, was twofold. One, Eddie showed beyond any question of a doubt he puts money above the sport. And then he said, you know, what he also implied is he put himself and Matchroom above the board. That, that seems to be the real issue here. We've always suspected it, and it's nice suspecting something, but when someone is so brazen about their contempt for the fans, their contempt for the sport, and their contempt for the governing body, it's, you don't make it back from that, because we always remember. So you can never court on the goodwill of the fans. You can't now, right? Look at, look at, what, look at what he did. The first test came out. 
And I remember tweeting going, are you sure this is the only test? Because I had heard that there were two tests. I'd heard that there were two failed tests. And I thought it was the A and the B sample until I heard the B sample hadn't been tested. I was like, Jesus, he's failed two. He failed two tests for clomiphene. And, I, and as I said in, in the previous episodes, the problem with clomiphene is that's probably the weakest of all the drugs you were taking. So he's lucky that was the only thing that was caught and it wasn't the Trembolone and it wasn't the Deca and it wasn't the test that was most likely being taken. It wasn't the IUs of growth hormone being taken. It wasn't the, the precursors to growth hormone production. It wasn't the IGFLR3. It wasn't any of those other things he was probably taking in a quest to be competitive against Chris Eubank Jr. And in light of all of that, in light of what was probably known, and if people wanted to talk, we'd be disgusted by what was actually going on behind the scenes. In light of all of that, at no point did Matchroom say, we need to stop this fight for the good of the sport. I don't think you recover from that in boxing. You don't, because now you've got everyone on your wrong side. Everyone, everyone now wants to see you humbled. So when I look at 2022, there's a lot of good stuff Hearn has done. Bam Rodriguez, is, like I said earlier, that's a great example. He's got Diego Pacheco, great example. Mark Castro may go on to be something good. He still does good things in the sport, but Jesus Christ, this guy's ruining it. So if you're going to grade Eddie on a 2022 out of 10, what do you give him? I'd give him a six. It would have been higher, but he lost marks for basically being an ass. He was an ass about Conor Ben. He was an ass about Okoli. And he's generally been an ass about most things. He was an ass about Fury. Again, can't help himself. Ass about Bob Arum. Again. And you're seeing a man who's rattled now. Whereas if he focused on all the good stuff he can do, which is, like I said, from the first minute of fight week to the final bell, there's no one you'd rather have. Nobody. Talk to anyone in the media, talk to anyone in the game. That's his sweet spot. It seems that everything else is, is beyond him now. And that pressure to generate a return for zone seems to be making him crack. You know, I think there's a lot to come out of what happened with that, with that zone deal. I think there's a lot... We will find out, I think, and this is just my opinion, we'll find out that money went to places it shouldn't go to. Just that no one's been bothered to audit it thus far. Wow, have I really just talked about Eddie Hearn for 20 minutes? Um, yeah, summarize So let's summarize Eddie and summarize it and say, Eddie's a solid six out of 10 this year. Um, definitely not the man he used to be. May never recapture those heights, although I don't wish that on him. He may never recapture those heights. And it will make sense now to, to talk about the man who Eddie could never dispatch, Eddie could never get rid of. The man who, when we strip it all bare, is probably the backbone of British boxing, Mr. Frank Warren. How do you describe Frank's year? Um, let's, let's go back to this time two years ago. Both Joyce and Anthony Yard have been beaten. Uh, not Joyce, Dubois and Anthony Yard have been beaten. Joe Joyce wanted off the platform. And you're looking at Frank going, I think the empire's collapsing. 
And Eddie was sticking the knife in too. Eddie was smiling, you know, laughing, making fun of Frank. And what was happening in the background? Frank was cooking. Frank was cooking. Frank was playing chess while Eddie was playing Uno. And you fast forward now two years and look at Frank. Heavyweight division, Frank's got his two heavyweights in pole position. Whatever happens post, actually it's three, isn't it, if you, if you include Fury. So Fury's got a belt. Whatever happens post-unification, Fury's still a factor. Joe Joyce is right up there. And Daniel Dubois is right up there. So where Eddie had AJ, Dillian, and Derek, Frank's now got Fury, Joyce, and Dubois. Now, I think that's fascinating. It means it's hard to, to recruit heavyweights right now because you've got to manage the, you've got to manage the flow. So you join Frank when the title shot's likely and it's viable. So I don't know what he's going to do in terms of signing heavyweights going forward, but he's going to need a couple if you look at it from a, a now and next perspective. So heavyweights, he's got nailed. Light heavy, yard, pole position, fighting for three of the belts in January. Frank's done that. But he's also done that because Yard's built his name up by taking those hard fights that people said he was scared of. Heffron at super mid. He's rebuilt him. And if he can, if he can give Mark Heffron a solid two or three years, that might be one of the better rebuilding jobs that Frank has done. Um, him and Willie Hutchinson, I should add. And then you go down the middle, to, to, you go down to middle and they're building Hamza the right way. So Hamza Shiraz has been built the right way. And they've delivered with Denzel. I'd argue Denzel's British Boxer of the Year. I don't know how I don't know how you argue against that if you measure from where someone started to where they ended up. I don't think anyone's travelled as far as Denzel Bentley has in the last twelve months. And yes, obviously I'm biased because I know him and I understand what he's been through, but let's just abstract it up a level. When when Denzel fought Linus, people said that was a fifty fifty. Okay? He won that. And then he fought Marcus Morrison and people said this is the fight he could lose. 60-40 in his favour, but still a fight that Morrison should have the skills to navigate. Got bludgeoned. And then he gets told you're fighting Janabek and people said Denzel will get stopped. He didn't get stopped. In, in many cases, he was able to hurt Janabek and he was able to withstand Janabek's attacks with five weeks notice and if you talk to Denzel and say how do you feel he's like if you'd given me a full camp I feel I could have won that fight you know and you can't say definitively one way or the other but what you can say with absolute certainty is it would have been more competitive it would have allowed him to get some more rest after the Morrison fight and it would have allowed him to prepare properly for a southpaw so he's he's done all of that and then you, you slide down all the weights and you see that Frank's positioning, guys, Archie Sharp is positioned. You know, the, the kid Nick Ball has to be positioned for a belt next year. I don't know what Frank's doing with Nathan Heaney, but he's got Nathan Heaney selling tickets and Nathan Heaney's made Frank relevant in the Midlands. So Frank's made all these small moves. Some of them are going to pay dividends next year and the year after. Some of them are not going to pay dividends till 2025. And I'll give you examples. Sam Noakes. 
when Sam Noakes comes on stream properly, when we're talking about him having career-defining fights, that's going to be 2025. Um, where do you put Echo Esselman? Does he Is he world titles in 2024? Potentially. If they manage him properly, I don't see why not. Maybe even 2023. But you look at these guys like Sam Noakes, Dennis McCann, uh, who are the other kids? Pierce O'Leary. You know, guys that, that Frank's kind of maneuvering slowly but surely. Carol Atalma, talent to burn. You know, the way he's managing these guys by 2024, 2025, these are the names you're going to be talking about. Other promoters will be trying to tap these guys up. Um, who's, who's the big cruiserweight? Is it Tommy Fletcher? You know, there's another name. So, so Frank's got 2023 sorted and 2024 sorted, and then a load of kids who are going to come good in 2025. So the challenge for Frank is, can you build events around that? So everything I said about Eddie and how fantastic Eddie is, we traditionally said Frank was bad at. But we can't say that anymore because of two fights. One at Wembley Stadium, one at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Frank Warren delivered Fury versus White. And if you go back to when that fight was made, people didn't think it would sell. People were saying this is not going to sell without Eddie Hearn's support. And they were wrong. They said if Dillian doesn't play ball, this fight's not going to sell. No one's going to pay that to watch Fury at Wembley. They did. 94,000 of them paid to watch Tyson Fury stop Dillian White at Wembley Stadium. 94,000. And I think that was when we saw Frank, like the, the newest incarnation of Frank, media savvy Frank. You know, 2022 is the year Frank learned how to play the media. He was on talk, talk sport, saying all the right things, making all the right moves, defending his corner, defending his position and maintaining public support for his approach. Because if you remember, there was a conflict with Dillian about tickets and security and stuff. And Frank held such a tight line on that against all the attacks on the other side that you started to respect Frank, the IFL interviews, his accessibility, the fact that the Warren family are now falling in behind. So they're all accessible. They've closed that media gap, you know, and a big part of that credit with credit is your big part of that's Dev Sani. Let's take our hat off to Dev because like his social media game has gone from like a three out of a 10, three out of 10 to about seven, eight out of 10 now. Some of those tweets that he lands are absolutely brilliant. But what he's doing, he's getting the engagement. He's getting the engagement for his side. You see him on Boxing King Media. You see him on who knows, man, what other channels. But he's, he's doing what he needs to do. And I love seeing that media gap close because now, now it's competitive. So Frank does Wembley with Fury. And I guess there was support from top rank, but Frank still got to do it. And then Fury versus Chisora, which a fight that was universally panned, a fight that was universally roasted. And if you ask me a question, did I see a kid with a fat stack of tickets the night before handing them out? Potentially, no comment. But they delivered for Fury Chisora, a fight no one cared about before it happened. And then we cared about when it did happen. And on both occasions, Frank was able to put his people forward. 
the Sam Noakes and so forth were able to get that visibility. Your Dennis McCann's, your Royston Barney Smith's were able to get that visibility, which is what I mean about looking forward to 2025. Frank's played this year really well. Like the, the shows haven't been great outside of the Fury stuff. Like, you know, Zach Parker versus John Ryder, no one cares. You know, going to Telford two or three times a year. We're not going to Telford for a fight. I've been, I've been to Telford before. Shouts out to, I think it was David Niven back in the day, the guy that tried. That's another story for another time. Um, and I've been out to, what's that place near Telford? Shifnal back in the day. Woo. Actually, no, no, let me not say that. That was a good night, actually. Naughty Nels and Shifnal. If that's still going, <laughs> make a pilgrimage there. But in, in essence, that doesn't work. Even Anthony Yard versus Baturbiev is happening at Wembley Arena. So how can Frank regularly fill the copper box? Because that was built for Frank. That's going to be the question. If I'm in Queensbury, I'm like, how can we fill the copper box five times a year? I have no idea what just dropped behind me, but something did drop. So just bear with me a sec. No mystery over. Um, I've got a pair of Predator five-a-side boots. Yeah, you know, you know the ones. They, look, they basically look like boxing boots, but they're, they're gold on white. Beautiful, by the way. If anyone wants them, you can have them. But yeah, they are beautiful. They just dropped but I was saying, how do you fill the copper box? And how do you fill it five times a year? And I don't think Frank's answered that question, but that's going to be key to the survival of Queensbury as far as I'm concerned. Frank needs three venues. I think he needs one in London, one in the Midlands, one in the North, that he can fill five times every year. Because that will tell him that what he's doing is healthy. And then based on all of that, you can have strategic O2 shows and Wembley shows as and when needed. And that's how, you, that's how you start slapping people like Eddie Hearn in the face, by having a, a coherent and a sustainable business model. So the other thing we, he will need to do in 2023 is find a way to transition the, the York Hall guys to a more sustainable televised footing. So guys like your Aidan Mohammeds, your, your Franken brothers, you know, who's the kid who's coming through now, Carl Fail. How do you bring those guys through the right way in the right time? You know, all of this stuff's going to be really interesting. So I think, I think Frank is in a good place. He's, he's not going to take over Eddie because Eddie's got the, the brand names. But what Frank's got is the opportunity to build something. To build something that will, will hold the attention and the, the respect of the boxing fan. And he, he seems to be doing that. At a time when, remember, Hearn was trying to take him clean out of business. That's what they thought. They thought they could kill Frank on BT. And Frank's come back swinging. And so, remember, we've got to give Frank a, a score for the year. I'm giving Frank an 8 out of 10 this year. He loses marks for shows like Telford. Because that's not what Frank should be doing right now. And it shows that he hasn't got the full national coverage that he needs. But he's building. So Frank gets an eight for this year. Now, he wouldn't have got an eight last year or the year before, but this year he gets an eight because of where all of his chess pieces are. He's in a stronger position than Eddie is in terms of maximizing opportunities. There's a, yeah, it's a massive tip of the hat to Frank. He's going to get that eight out of ten. And then we've got to talk 
about the, the third of the three kings. So how do we grade Sky, Boxer, Ben Shalom, the, the whole entity? How do we grade them for 2022? Because they came out the blocks scorching. We got, what did we get? We got Eubank Jr. versus Williams, which, you know, good enough event to start the year. I think that was miles ahead of what anyone else was doing in the first quarter of the year. Then we got, finally got Amir Khan versus Kel Brook. Was it what we needed? No, but it gave us closure and it gave us a dramatic moment when we suddenly realized Khan ain't got anything left. And it was like, how quick can Kel break him apart? And then, we were, you know, and it left us wondering, is this the old Kel or is Khan making him look good? But you start off with those two and you're like, okay, this is the new sky. This is what we've waited for. This is what they promised us. Third fight, Josh Taylor versus Jack Cattrall. Get that it's a mandatory and all that sort of stuff, but it's a it's a fight because, you know, Jack Jack's a legit contender at 140 pounds. Josh Taylor at the time was considered the best at 140 pounds beyond beyond debate, in fact. And we were putting him in the Crawford bracket. After the fight, we weren't putting him in that Crawford bracket anymore. So we get three fights in rapid succession, and we're like, God, this this sky, this sky's gonna be incredible. But I was, actually, let me just touch on that Taylor fight because that kind of moved the discussion in boxing because people felt so strongly that Cattrall had won that fight that it forced us to really examine what the hell the sport is really about, which I thought was a good thing. I thought that was the right discussion to have at the beginning of the year. But to be absolutely clear, talent-wise, skill-wise, experience-wise, the gap between Taylor and Cattrall is vast. The reality was Ben Davidson has been bringing down the level of Taylor's performances for a while. I'm going to go back to this point. I'm going to say it again and again and again. Analysts are analysts and they're good at what they do. Coaches are coaches and they're good at what they do. Analysts will identify problems and issues. Coaches will implement solutions. These are two different breeds. Can Ben Davison stitch the two together? In time, yes, but remember the guy's still young. He's still learning. So don't put too much pressure on him. But what you can say is the fighters he puts out fight well within themselves. History's shown us that. And that's why people don't stick around with him after a while. And then from Sky, we got nothing of note. Like, yeah, you gave us these top-ranked shows, whatever. I'm not staying up for those. We got nothing of note from Sky until Chamberlain versus Billum Smith. And even, even that fight isn't what you'd call a blockbuster. It's a good fight, by the way. That's a fantastic fight. And it was as dramatic a fight as we would have wanted. And I thought it was a perfect showcase for both guys. I don't think anyone really lost in material terms. But we got nothing until we got the Shields versus Marshall card. Now... You know, there's a whole thing about that being an all-female card and it was set for, uh, I can't remember the date, but then the Queen passed away, unfortunately, and they had to reschedule it. And people talk about what a great event that was for the women's side of the sport, but there were so many comped tickets at the O2. So of all the people I know who went, I think about 
60% of the people that I know that went to that event went on free tickets. You won't see Sky do an all-female card again. And that's not me damning women's boxing. It's just not economically viable. For what you'd have had to pay Clarissa Shields, Savannah Marshall, uh, Michaela Mayer, Alicia Baumgartner, and all the kind of logistics behind that, and you pay that twice, you won't do that again. I don't think they'll make that money back. That was that was a lost leader, and it probably demonstrated to Sky that women's boxing is not where people say it is. But don't let that detract from the fact that in Shields versus Marshall, we got we got to see who the best female boxer is. Who's the best woman in boxing? We found out that it's Clarissa Shields. Don't even know if it's close. The nearest viable option for me would be Franchon Cruz Dezern, but we don't even know yet because she's still a bit wild with her shots. She hasn't got that crispness that Clarissa Shields has got. I think it's incredibly hard to look past Clarissa Shields as the best. I think the only viable option is a lady we have to praise as well. Because what Sky have done with Natasha Jonas is nothing short of a miracle. It makes you wonder what the hell was Eddie Hearn doing with Natasha Jonas? Natasha Jonas went from lightweight to light middle. Lightweight to light middle was weighing in around 148 pounds. So giving weight away, but luckily not having to cut down, right? So she gets to do a proper training camp at full noise, full bore, full everything. And Natasha Jonas, by the end of the year, has three belts. In terms of British boxing, she's the most interesting boxer we have amongst our women right now. The only fight that makes sense for Natasha Jonas now is, in my opinion, Clarissa Shields. I don't know what her thoughts on retiring are, but if I'm, if I'm Natasha Jonas right now, that's the fight I'd go for. Because that's an impressive fight. I, and I think that would be a compelling fight because you know, there are all these intangibles about Shields having to drop to 154. Um, you know, obviously, Natasha giving up a, a ton of weight. And so what would that do? But let me tip my hat off to, to Joe Gallagher at this point. <laughs> I think we've got to have Joe Gallagher as ad advisor, manager of the year, however you want to describe it, because his ability to resurrect careers unparalleled remember when Hearn tried to marginalize him you know that's the man who built Matchroom outside of London Joe Gallagher's guys built Matchroom Crawler Quig and the list goes on Jose Burton back in the day all of these guys helped build Matchroom and then Eddie just excommunicates him and so to see Joe back having resurrected Natasha Jonas's career now resurrecting Heffron's career and potentially resurrecting Hosea Burton's career at Cruiserweight. If Joe can pull this off, mm, he might challenge Eddie Lamb for Boxing's Man of the Year, finally. But as far as I'm concerned, credit to him for what he's done with Natasha Jonas, and credit to Sky for backing her, because she's a genuine star in boxing right now. And I want to give an honourable mention to Hannah Rankin. And people say, oh, you're biased because you commentated with her. Not really. I've always been a Hannah Rankin fan. I think she's 
class. And if there was a way to implant a chip in Hannah Rankin that gave her 15 years of boxing experience, I would do that because everything about Hannah Rankin is thumbs up. Personable, lovely, fights hard, strong, tough, doesn't quit. Understands the sport, talks well on it as well. So I'm a big Hannah Rankin fan and I'd love her to have a big 2023. I'm just gutted that she lost the Harper fight so we didn't get to see a proper showcase. But big, ah, just got a lot of respect for, for Hannah Rankin. So she's one of the people who stood out for me. And then Sky haven't really delivered much. Obviously, they've opened up Bournemouth as a lane for, for boxing and it seems that like Bournemouth's one of those fun destinations. And I get why you do that, but I feel about Bournemouth the way I do about Telford. It's a long way to go for fights that economically aren't going to deliver because there's no arena big enough to get the big stars down. So if they do a stadium fight for Chris Billum-Smith, maybe that would work. I still... I'm I'm comfortably of the view that Bill and Smith versus Jack Massey is the fight that will get made. I don't think Massey fights Parker, but if I'm wrong on that, I mean, feel free to let me know. Um, I, had a, I had a back and forth with Dave Massey on this matter. I don't see the fight happening for some of the reasons that Dennis said, but also strategically, what do you need that for when you've got so many cruiserweights you can make money with? Yeah, but look, the, Mas the Massey clan know better than I do. I, I don't know what sort of shape he's in. I don't know what weight he'll go in as. If he went in at about 215 pounds, could he then ball down to cruiserweight? Yeah. So maybe there's nothing to lose by doing this. But they're going to have to sort out that business with Dennis. There's no question about that. So overall, Sky gave us some good shows, some poor shows. But here's where Sky delivered for the fans. They signed Ben Whitaker who's a rare talent and is a real talent. Olympic silver medalist. Fraser Clark, Olympic bronze medalist. Lauren Price, Olympic gold medalist. Karis Artingstall, Olympic bronze medalist. Those are all good signings. Uh, I think Karis Artingstall in the pros will be a knockout artist. She's got that kind of Natasha Jonasness to her. So I'm intrigued to see how, how good she is. Lauren Price goes without saying special it needs to find a weight division that will do her talent justice i don't know if welterweight's the one but time will tell whether she moves up or whether she moves down but she's class everything about her story her ability in the ring all of that's perfect ben whitaker like i said been saying it for so long now nailed on nailed on talent nailed on a little bit surprised that he's only fought twice like where's the Where's the oomph behind him? Where's the investment behind him? Where's the content behind him? Where's, where's that message from Sky that we're behind you a thousand percent? Is that a Sky issue? Is that a 258 issue? No idea. But Ben Whitaker sort of appeared, then disappeared. So hopefully in 2023, we get to see him on a more consistent basis because the mayor of Wolverhampton is definitely a talent. So you look at those four and you go, okay. Yeah, they're solid signings. Fraser Clark, I don't know what you do. You know, there's the, I, I've heard a lot of excuses from Fraser Clark. And like I said, I, I think the guy's lovely in person. I think he's fantastic. But I can't be hearing excuses from a guy who's been in that GB setup for over a decade and has moved straight into the pro ranks. I can't be buying all of this. I need time to adjust. 
you shouldn't need time to adjust. You should be able to beat guys like Phil Williams comfortably. You should be able to beat guys like Kamil Sokolowski easily. And these fights should be happening quickly. When guys like Jamie Shakiva are happy to fight you, that's a worry. Because it ain't meant to, it's not meant to feel that easy to fight an Olympian. And then when you contrast with where, where Jalilov is as a heavyweight, you start to look and go, what are they going to do with Fraser Clark? Because I think at some point, it's that, that point where you need to shit or get off the pot, right? And that's where he is right now. Next year, we don't hear about learning fights by the end of that year. No learning fights left. You know, even if you can dig Dave Allen out of retirement, whatever you need to do, do it. But you look at those four Olympians and you go, yeah, that's solid. But then there's the other Olympian they signed that didn't medal, probably deserved to medal, in Caroline Dubois. They have something special with her. And she's that right kind of size that she's in the mix with everyone that we'd want her to be in the mix with. And I'd love to see it. Anything from Super Feather all the way up to Junior Welter, I'd love to see. I'd love to see Caroline Dubois mix it up at some point. Maybe not next year, early 2024, but let her mix it in with those big names. Because I have no doubt about her. None. None. Savage, intense, horrible in the ring. Isn't there for a skills display. She's there to take people out. Got that kind of Demetrius Andrade kind of long arm slashing style. It's lovely. You know, I think I said in one of my previous episodes, she reminds me of Inoue as well. The way that she's mastered her distance. And all, all of her attacks come from the optimum distance for her. Those power shots, not too far away, not too close. Always perfectly judged. So that's what Sky have done really, really well. You know, they had a good... Beginning of the year, then they ran out of steam a bit, spiked a little bit in the summer, ran out of steam again. But they signed well. Unfortunate to miss out on Dalton Smith, but they signed well. And look, you've got Adam Azim, who... Special. Untested, but everything's there. And if it turns out he's got that chin and that fighting heart, you might be racing to get him in with Josh Taylor before Josh retires, because that might be the missing piece in the jigsaw in terms of, you know, is he the guy that can unlock that Josh Taylor um, skill set, talent profile? Is it Adam Azim that does all that damage? Because he is, <laughs> he is damn good. Another thing they got right was Dan Aziz. Why Dan Aziz isn't higher profile amongst the, the bods at Sky baffles me. Absolutely baffles me because name me a guy who's delivered more in the ring. You know when Dan shows up, someone's going to have to withstand hell round after round. And a lot of people are finding out that they can't. It, and he's, he's caught now because if you look at Dan, Dan fought Reese Cartwright, Shikan Pitters, and um, Rocky Fielding. <laughs> Nearly lost me there. Three fights this year. The Reese Cartwright one was a replacement for Matthew Tinker. The Tinker fight would have been interesting. Dan gets annoyed at me for saying it would be competitive. But I, I believe it would have been competitive, not necessarily down to experience, but just that psychological element that 
they fought each other before. There's familiarity there. I think all the fights end the same way. I just think Dan, too heavy-handed, too intense, too focused, and he's physically resilient. That's what people forget. Dan's, Dan's chin's good. And here's what Dan's done, right? If you said to me, what were the mistakes Dan made in the amateurs? I've still got the notes somewhere in this, in this flat of the things that Dan does that leave him vulnerable to certain shots. And over the years, he's closed all of those loopholes. So you can't catch him with certain shots anymore like you used to be able to. You know, that evolution, that development, how his jabs got better, his uppercuts got better, his punch selection has got better in the last 12 months. His defense has got better. He's not as easy to hit. His work rate's up, what, 15, 20%? And he can hold that. So there are all these big improvements that Dan's made. But he's kind of done British level. Unless you're getting him in with a Boatsy or a Spider Richards, there's nothing left at that level. I hear them talk about Lyndon Arthur. And, okay, yeah, okay. But I'm Dan and I'm 33 years old. Why wouldn't I chase a Pascal? Why, why, can't, why can't Dan Aziz get one of those names on his record? Why can't he get a Pascal? Why can't he get a Joe Smith Jr.? Why can't Dan Aziz get a Kovalev on his record? Why won't Sky put the money up for that? Because Dan's deserved it. He's delivered for Sky. What's it? Hosea Burton. Entertaining. Reese Cartwright. Entertaining. Shakan Pitts is entertaining. Rocky Fielding, entertaining while it lasted. So <laughs> we need to be rewarding that. If Sky had a, a whole stable of Dan Aziz type fighters, they'd have no problems. Viewership would be through the roof. Yet they have, they have at least one and don't reward him. So I have a real issue with that. I just want to see him more prominent. Now, they're still, they're still back Richard Riakpo and I get why, but how close is Richard to a world title fight? We're not talking about that being next. Like, Makabu's not expensive. You could do the Makabu fight, pay Makabu 100, 150 grand. Why haven't they done that? None of those champions are expensive because the cruiserweight's not an expensive division. And with Lawrence coming now, what do you do? What, both are going to fight for world titles? Lawrence is going to unify, Richard's going to win one? There isn't the budget for that. So they should have got him the world title. And I think they will regret not striking when the iron was hot. But I am looking forward to seeing Lawrence show up, which it looks like it will, unless Eddie sues him. Because I think that strengthens that sky stable in and around Cruiserweight. What I don't want them to do is just have him farting around with British level guys. If that's why they've brought man, if that's why they've brought him in, that'll be disappointing. But I think I don't even know. Do we need to start grading Benyard or are there more names we need to talk about? One thing I did forget is we've got to start marking Ben down for some things. So number one, there's still a lot of dross on that stable that they haven't got rid of yet. Um, they're starting to do it now. You're seeing some of the fights being made, but there's a lot of dross on that stable that doesn't make sense. But there's also talent that's not getting elevated. Zach Chelly's a prime example. Just set Zach loose. See if you can make a Heffron fight. You know, start pushing Jermaine Brown. Yes, I know he lost to Zach Chelly, but Jermaine, Jermaine's what you need. 
these are the sorts of guys that should be active. Like, you can't keep picking guys from this town or that town, this, that, and the third, people that we've never heard of before. And then you want us to get behind them and do this. No, stop doing all of that. You know, that's the thing I don't want to see. So loads are good from Sky Boxer, but there are two things we need to see next year. One, clean up that stable and get some quality in. Number two, start having more world title fights. None of this, we're going to circumvent, we're going to play with the semantics by having women's title fights. Let's have some proper title fights where, you know, we've got time to get excited, build up, whoever, however. Let's get those fights on Sky because that's really what we're paying our subscription for. And they've got the pay-per-view platform. But overall, what would you give Ben Shalom, Boxer and Sky? Strong start to the year, man. The start of the year was like a nine. The mid-year is like a four. End of the year is like a six. So I don't even know. Like, give them a six and a half, seven out of ten. But big, big, bold red letters must do better. You have the number one platform. You should do better. Ben, let's just touch on some guys who, who don't have the same exposure. So um, where are we with Dennis Hobson and Fight Zone? I think if Den was being honest, 2022 was like a wilderness year of what the hell are we doing? You know, when you've got a platform like that, I think, especially Fight Zone is essentially an app. It's not really a channel, it's an app. And I don't think there's been a, a great deal of thought that's gone into what else can you put on the app? What's the value add you can put on the app? Can you syndicate um, boxing scene on there? So actually, I don't have to jump on the website, I can just go into the app and get what I need. Can you... You know, can you integrate Twitter in there? All this stuff, like, these are the questions you need to ask. And I don't think, like, in, development is cheaper than promoting, I promise to God. So there are these options to do that. And I think that's just, Den probably just needs to sit down with a whiteboard and go, well, what's Fight Zone really about? You know, and I was privileged enough to do a couple of their shows, absolutely loved it. I might talk about that in another episode. Actually, why? I've done it before. But I absolutely enjoyed it. Den's a friend. I know he's tried to do a lot of things. The Jack Massey thing still hurts him because no one wanted to touch Jack when Den got involved. And it feels like, and I'm not going to say Jack because I think Jack will fight whoever looks after him. I think Kevin Marie tried to use Dennis as a stepping stone to Sky. And Jack is like the gateway fighter. Here, Sky, I'll give you Jack and then please sign the rest of my other guys. If that's what he's done, then I disagree with that fundamentally. Now, I'm not saying that's the case. As an outsider looking in with incomplete info, that's one of the hypotheses that I have in my head. If that's the case, then I think that's wrong because you're just making life hard for Jack for the sake of fighters that Jack has no connection with. If he's taking Jack to Sky in the honest belief that the contract is done, cool. We'll see that tested out. But we need to cut all of that nonsense out. But I want to see what Dennis does this year. I think he needs a smaller stable, more focused stable, and he should focus on guys who can really fight. You know, that, that's what I'd like to see. Um, from a Steve Goodwin perspective, 
I wonder how long Steve will carry on because if you remember, Steve's the manager who promotes. So Steve's the manager who showcases the guys that he manages. And as long as that doesn't cost him money, it makes sense. As long as that still gives him happiness, then it makes sense. But without that, I don't see him sticking around for much longer. It doesn't make any sense. That boxing's so fragmented at the moment. It's hard to get dates. It's hard to get fighters. But I think for now, he's still got healthy attendances. It's still okay for tickets. Just the number of bouts is a problem. But I wish him all the best, as always. Um, Alfie Warren, similar position. You know, you're showcasing guys. So how do you make your money? You keep, you, know, you keep putting on these shows in the hope that people make it onto TV. And stable looks good. Um, I'd like to see him sign a couple of guys. There are a couple of guys I know that are going to be free agents pretty soon. And I think they'd be entertaining additions to the Alfie Warren stable. Let me not say names because I don't want to get myself in trouble. But you know, he's also doing his thing. You see, now that Sky are more mobile geographically, Errol Johnson's now coming to the fore. The BCB are doing their thing. You know, big shout out to someone like Kirsty Bavington. You know, there's been a bit of a Midlands resurgence. You know, I know some people are asking questions about the hows and the whys, but you know, it makes boxing more competitive. And then the guys that we don't see as much anymore. Your Sonny Edwards is, you know, still a world champion. So tip your hat off to him. Josh Kelly's come back. He's you know made himself relevant again against Troy Williamson. So that's also good. O'Hara Davis looks like he may be fighting Lewis Ritson and the winner of that will get a world title shot. Well-deserved on O'Hara's behalf. But that probellum situation needs to resolve itself. I think they've tried to, to wait out the storm and hopefully find a way to get back into the good graces of the broadcasters, but it's not happening. So you're actually harming people's careers by having shows in arenas that no one gets to see. Do they even run them on YouTube? I have no idea. I have to double check that because I just don't watch them anymore. And that's a shame. But I think overall, if you look at where we are in 2022, it's felt like a bit of a, not a changing of the guard, but definitely everyone's having to, to reset their position. You know, Eddie was miles ahead before and everyone was playing catch up. Now it looks like they've closed the distance. And these are the crucial moves now. If they get 2023 right, Frank and Boxer can overtake Eddie. If they don't, they may never do so. But I think that's really that that's where we are. So 2023, in terms of how I feel, I might do a separate episode on that. But I want to just see better quality fights now. You've kind of shown us the landscape of who's who. Now let's start finding out what's what. Who are the champions? Who are the winners in this? Who are the people who are going to take us all the way to Las Vegas, Madison Square Garden, Wembley, the O2. Who are those guys? Is it Adam Azim? Is it Natasha Jonas? Is it Liam Smith? Is it Chris Eubank Jr.? Is it Anthony Joshua? Is it Joe Joyce? We need to start finding this out next year because if we're back here talking about the same nonsense as last year, we failed. And on that note, I'll say, listen, guys, if you listen to this, have a great New Year's Eve. Happy New Year. If you listen to this after, hope you had a good New Year's Eve. And once again, Happy New Year. And on that note, I'll say take care.